from the Gospel of Luke. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the holiness of God and the experience that Peter has, his epiphany. And I have to tell you, it took a really long time for me to realize that our season of epiphany meant epiphany as in the light bulb going off or a realization of something great. And what's really fascinating about this story of Peter experiencing God, of him having an epiphany and realization of who God is, is his reaction. It's not the reaction you might expect. There's no, um, he doesn't see God for who he is, and they're running across the meadows to each other to embrace in this warm hug, right? When Peter realizes who God is, Julie Andrews isn't singing Getting to Know You in the background, and it's just kind of, you know, like, oh, this is, this is wonderful. Like, this is a soft thing. No, he falls down on the boat on his knees. And so what is it about God? that causes this reaction from Peter. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about in our sermon today. It reminds me of the time that uh, I decided that Gabriel should have an experience of what dinosaurs are like. You see, my son Gabriel, it was was a bad idea. He's 18 months old. But this experience, Gabriel had um, dinosaur books, and he had dinosaur toys and dinosaur shirts and watched dinosaur movies. And so you're like, well, you know, maybe he really wants to see what dinosaurs are like. And good news, the Brevard Zoo's having a dinosaur exhibit. Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be great for him to have this experience? Well, I throw him in the car, I buckle him in, I drive to the zoo, we, get, we pay the extra $4 to go into the dinosaur exhibit, and we walk in and we see these, what I think are cute little Triceratops babies that are moving around and making some noises, and he freezes. And it was like, oh, The real thing is a little harder, it's a little bigger, it's a little more than you were expecting. And so I did my dad thing, right? As a dad, you're you're kind of their hype man. You do a personal pep rally for your kids to get them to do something. So I get down to Gabriel, like, this is great, this is awesome, we're going to have so much fun. I paid four bucks for this, we're going. Um, So I I take Gabriel by the hand and, and we see a dinosaur that's a little bit bigger and a little bigger. And at this point, he turns to me and wraps himself around my neck and he starts sobbing. So like the good father that I am, I charge straight through the entire exhibit because I don't want to miss a single thing, and it gets harder and harder for him because they tower over his head. The reason I tell you this story is not to illustrate how great of a father I am, um, but it's to tell you that sometimes the experience that we think we, or what we think we know of God, maybe what we've been told, what we imagine that He will be like, is far different than the reality far different than the experience of God and His presence. And so I want to ask you, have you ever thought about what it would be like to stand in the presence of God, to fully experience Him? And I hope, and I'm sure that some of you have in degrees, you've, you've seen more of God than others, but have you really considered what would it be like to stand in the presence of the Lord? You see, I heard a lot about God growing up. I was raised in the church. I spent a lot of time at youth group and a lot of time hearing from the God, and I heard a great deal about how God is loving, and He is, and He's caring, and He is, and He's personal, and He is, and He's a healer, and He's merciful. And those are all true and wonderful things. One thing that I did not pay much attention to was the holiness of God, the greatness of the Lord. 
And you start to see in Scripture what it's like for people who are presented with the fullness of God, and they all have a reaction very similar to Peter's. You see, when you experience the presence of God, it's not like waiting in line to sit on Santa's lap at the mall, right, where you go up and um, it's your turn, and you sit on this warm, gentlemanly, grandfatherly lap, and he just kind of smothers you, and he says, whatever you want, I'll give you. You know, tell me what you want, I'll make sure your parents give it to you. You're like a pony, and your parents are just like, like really, Santa? Um, but, but, you know, that's, that's not the experience of God. It's not, that, it's not merely just this grandfa- grandfatherly warmth that, in, that envelopes you. There's something much starker to the reality of God. And when you read this passage, you know, passage in Luke, Peter has been fishing all night. He's caught nothing. I'm sure he's very tired. They're cleaning nets. Jesus begins to teach. Then Jesus says, Peter, go back out. I want you to give it one more shot and cast your nets into the deep. And Peter goes and he casts his nets into the deep, and the nets become so full that they're breaking. And in that moment, something incredibly profound happens. He has an epiphany. He has a realization of who God is. And again, what, is his, what does he do? What is his response? Depart from me, O Lord. And so you look at that and you say, well, is that a unique experience in the presence of God in Scripture? Do most people experience God as kind of a warm light, as this kind of pleasant, sum, you know, pleasant summer sun where you're basking in His rays on the beach, or is there something more profound than that when they come in the presence of God? And I did a little bit of digging on that this week, I, you know, because I, I, I was curious, like, what, are, what is the experience of most people when they experience the fullness of God? Well, John experienced God in the book of Revelation. Do you know what it says? He fell down as though dead. Well, that's not very grandfatherly. And then you keep reading. The Israelites at Mount Sinai, they had experienced the fullness of God's presence. They said, I don't want to go near the mountain or I will die. Isaiah, from our passage this morning, what did he say? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And Job, you all familiar with the book of Job, correct? Job chapter 45, he says, when he experiences God's fullness, he says, I had heard of you with my ears, but now my eye sees you, and therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What is it about the presence of God that leads to these reactions, that leads to this falling in front of His presence? Well, it's one attribute of God that we're going to be spending our time discussing this morning. It's God's holiness. God's holiness. Holiness of the Lord. Now, Holiness, I set myself up for a really difficult sermon this morning because holiness is actually an indefinable term. So if I say holiness to you and you're like, well, okay, well, yeah, sure, give, you know, give me the Merriam-Webster, um, I can give you some approximations of that, but it's actually really difficult, and here's why. The holiness of God is transcendent. It's otherworldly. It's something that you can only get a glimpse of, but none of you possess it in fullness or even in approximation, neither do I. It's something like the sacred or the pure but holiness is holiness. It's transcendent. And it's, I would argue, it's the central attribute of God. These days you hear a lot about how God is love. Would you all agree with that? God is love. You get that in First um, John. God is love, and that's true. In the, in the Old Testament especially, God is also wrath and justice and mercy and healer. In fact, he's got a lot of names, but there's only one attribute of God that's repeated three times. Holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord. And that repetition is important. That repetition of three times is incredibly important because in the Hebrew, they didn't have, you know, very good or, you know, awesomely good or, you know, like they, in order to emphasize a trait, you would repeat it multiple times. So, for example, um, Father Chris is a great man. Can you hear me? Uh, Father Chris is a great man. And so, um, you know, if he's a, if he's, but if he's the greatest man I've ever met, I would say he's a great, great man. You all follow me when I say that? But, but to say something in the treble, to say it three times, well, that's unheard of. But God is holy, holy, holy. He is sacred, He is pure, and His holiness cuts through darkness like a piercing light. Now, see, holiness, it's a wonderful thing for us, but it's also a very dreadful thing to encounter. In Hebrews, it says it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And here's why holiness is both awesome and awe-inspiring and can feel um, terrible. It's because when you are in the presence of holiness, holiness exposes. Like when you uh, turn on a light in a dark room and you can see every piece of dirt, holiness exposes all of it. I mean, even great people do that. Um, this is terrible of me to do, but my brother's here this morning. I'm not going to point him out to you. You'll find him very quickly. Um, my brother's in better shape than I am. I'm just going to put it that way. And what's funny about being in the presence of somebody who's in better shape than you is you don't think about them. You think about who? Yourself. Immediately, right? You know, you I, he comes over, I put on a jacket, and, you know, we can, we can then relate on, our, on, our, on a person-to-person level. But, you know, you've experienced that with people who maybe have taller, you know, taller in stature than you. You don't think about how tall they are, you think about how short you are. People who are more wealthy than you are, for example, or um, even kinder than you, right? When, you, when you're in the presence of somebody who has something that you lack, what, sh- what, you know, what, what it feels like is there's a light being exposed on what you lack. Holiness exposes, it reveals your own shortcomings, well, imagine what that, that's just with people. Imagine what that's like coming in the presence of God. Isaiah, again, woe is me. It's not great are you, it's woe is me. Peter, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. When you're in the presence of God, you can't help but become inwardly focused. And it's an incredibly exposing thing, and it's a difficult thing to, be, to feel vulnerable or to feel exposed. Have you ever been caught, for example, in a lie, or caught sneaking out of the house, or caught doing any of these sort of things, and you could make no more excuses, you had no more reasons, you had no more uh, places to hide, it was just there, and you were no longer in control? Well, that's what it's like for the holiness of God. You can't manipulate God. You can't deceive God. You can't use God's holiness for your own ends. In fact, it is the one attribute of God that is solely His and is untouchable. And it makes God forever um, beyond our grasp if we were to try to seek Him on our own. So again, that's, an, that's a wonderful, awful truth about His holiness. Holiness is also terrifying because, again, you're fully exposed and you can't just hide things. Every single one of us has a tendency to approach God with part of ourselves, right? There's something about, there's something about you that you don't want to give to God. You all hear me so far? You don't treat God as your authority. You treat Him as a consultant, right? And, and by that, I mean that when God speaks to you, you say, God, I'll take the advice on the things that I agree with or that I could see you're right about. 
But the things that you're asking me to do that I really don't want to do, I'm going to keep those to myself. Does that make, do you hear me, everybody? And I'm going to get real personal, and you can write me an angry email. Um, I actually, like, I, I will read it, I promise you. Uh, it's stewardship season. It's stewardship season, right? We talk about the tithe. We talk about a full contribution of God. How many of you heard that and said, God, because you are my authority, I will be obedient to your commands? Or did you take that as advice? Did you take that as, you know, advice or something that's, you know, or an impossible ideal? Or did you take that to heart as God being authority? Well, God as holiness is, is far, beyond, far beyond just, you know, helping you achieve what you desire. In fact, holiness of God means that He is about much more than you. He's also about much more than me. And so, when He exposes these parts in your life, that means that you can't keep anything from Him or hidden from Him or compartmentalize from Him. God's holiness is like the, sh- the brightness of the sun and the heat of the sun. Everything in its presence is laid open, bare, and exposed. But that holiness of God is also something that's very good for us, because the holiness of God exposes, but it also cleanses. Because you see, there are parts of your life that will never be healed, will never be worked on, will never, uh, you will never find closure in or growth in if they aren't exposed to the light. As long as you try to keep things hidden from God and unaddressed, they will, you will never work through them. You'll just bury them further. The holiness of God brings things to light so that you can clean them and heal them. Um, two weeks ago, this is, this is really embarrassing. Two weeks ago, my wife and I were trying to get out of town. And, uh, and, you know, we had both kids in the car. We were running late. You know, I was, you know, tempers were already running high. And um, I was a little frustrated. And so, you know, and I, we're halfway out of the garage, and our, our back hatch of the car is up. And I go to hit the button to close the back hatch, and the garage door starts coming down instead, right on top of the car. And, I mean, you guys know what I mean. You've been in this situation where you're just like, come on. So um, I go to hit the button to stop the garage door and, and shut this, and I'm just like, we just need to get on the road. We're so late. Nothing's going right. I throw the car in reverse. We go back, and I hear, well, guess who was parked behind my wife's car? Me. Um, I hit my car with my car. That's the two-for-one special. Uh, and again, if you, if you really want to take a peek at it, you can look at the side of my Corolla when you leave today. There's a nice, healthy dent. Um, well, I learned in the process of this experience that to do touch-up paint on a car is, is one, uh, it looks like whiteout, so don't really, even if it says it's the same, don't do it. But two, there's a real extensive process to try to actually cleanse and heal and repair a car. It's not as simple as just taking some paint and throwing it over a gap. You actually have to wash it thoroughly, let it dry, wash it thoroughly again, degrease it, wash it again, because if I were to just take a bunch of paint and throw it right on a dirt-covered, greasy car, it wouldn't stick. You all hear me when I say that? Well, holiness of God is the exact same thing. If all you desire from God is just to feel warm and to feel good and to feel love, you're just painting over a dirty surface area, and it won't stick, and you'll need to come back day after day after day for another infusion of that feel-goodiness. The holiness of God is what degreases it, it penetrates, it cleanses, and it cleans, and it allows the love of God to actually stick to you in a way that lasts. 
And you know this is true, by the way, from your experiences with other people. Every one of us, right, kind of has our external persona, you know, that, that avatar of yourself, the person that you let everybody else see. And then there's the you. And, and you know, the, the, the more mature you get, the, the, greater, you know, the greater you get or the more humble you get in God's presence, the more those two become one. You all follow me so far? But there's your representative and then there's you. Well, if, somebody, if you've only ever shown somebody a representative and they tell you they love you, can you really believe them? No, because they don't really know you. You haven't let them that close. You're like, okay, great, you like who I've presented, but what about me? Do y'all hear me when I say that? Well, the holiness of God pierces right through that persona and gets to the heart of who you are. And if you understand that God sees you and fully sees you, he can, be, he can begin to do a real cleansing and cleaning and loving work in you. That's why the holiness of God is so very good for us. And I'll demonstrate that to you with this passage um, as we close for today. In Luke 5, Peter first, sees, first experiences who God is, and it drives him to his knees. He's fishing. Jesus says, cast your nets. You didn't catch anything, and so you'll get a full catch. Well, that's the first bookend of the story. The second bookend actually comes much later in John chapter 21. You see, in John 21, Jesus has already been crucified. Peter, who said to Jesus, I will never deny you, right? I will, I, they will all abandon you, but I will never abandon you, has denied Jesus how many times? Do you all remember? Three times. Even after all of that. And, G, and, and Peter, possibly experiencing the disappointment or the heartbreak, goes right back to what he was doing before he met Jesus. He's fishing again in John chapter 21. And a man appears on the shore and tells Peter, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And he does so, and he draws up a huge quantity of fish, and Peter realizes it's the Lord. And what does he do? He does something very silly. He wraps his cloak around himself to go swimming. Don't do that. Um, He wraps his cloak around himself to go swimming, and he jumps in the water, and he pursues Jesus with everything that he has because he knows he has fallen. He is exposed before the Lord. And what Jesus does is he sits in front of him, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I do. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Well, he does that two more times. And John 21 says that the third time, Peter felt ashamed. He was exposed before the Lord. But Jesus used that opportunity to enact a real lasting healing and transformation in Peter's life. You see, Jesus doesn't just wipe over everything. He didn't walk up to Peter and say, hey, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. He actually laid open the bare root of the problem, was able to heal him exactly where he was hurting. So my encouragement to you, especially as we gear up to enter Lent in the next few weeks, is to consider the holiness of God and open yourself so that it can do its work on you. Understand that there is nothing about you that God does not see, right? You heard that today. Before you, before you, all hearts are open, all desires known. From you, no secrets are hid. That's the shining light and presence of God's holiness. It's not enough for you to bask in the distant glow and warmth of God. You have to get closer. You have to get closer to the source. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, it is a terrifying thing to be exposed. It's a horrifying thing to be 
vulnerable in the presence of your sight, to know that there is nothing that we can keep from you, and to know, God, that you see us to the core. But God, we thank you that you also are trustworthy and true, and you are for us, and you love us, and you don't use your holiness, God, to beat us over the head, but you use it to cleanse us and to bring us to yourself. God, I pray that you would burn away everything in us that is not of you, and that you would leave us pure before your sight by the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died to pay our debts. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.